This is Beyond the Bell Tower, where an elite group of North Carolina State University students give us a behind-the-scenes look at their steps to success and show us how they attain even their lofty goals. These students, who are in the top 10% of the country, are active in student support services at NC State, a nationally recognized program designed to provide support for low-income, first-generation college students. Nationally, this population has an 11% graduation rate within six years. The student support services students surpass that rate each year and go on to become doctors, dentists, accountants, and engineers. They work at Google, Apple, and the NCAA. They have earned PhDs in Ivy League colleges. These students go well beyond the bell tower to reach this level of success. So we are here with Clay Cheney, who is a, who are you, Clay? You're a senior? I am a senior studying meteorology. So meteorology is, do you want to be the weatherman? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what everybody, you know, thinks of whenever you hear, oh, you're studying the weather. There's a lot more to it. Um, You have research bases that you can get involved with, of like the professors and um, there's also like operational forecasting. You can get into different government-based jobs. You can also get jobs with uh, different like business corporations where they actually need meteorologists when they send people out. Um, you know, the weather's a big part of everybody's lives and every uh, sorry and everything that they <laughs> yeah. do like every day. So. I feel like it's actually a pretty big deal to study the weather because it does impact everybody's daily lives. Yeah, no, for sure, which we'll um, get into that a little bit. Um, But what do you think um, the students should know about you, like where you're from? I'm I'm from Shelby, North Carolina. Um, It's about 45 minutes west of Charlotte. Um, People typically don't know the smaller cities, so I have to point out the bigger ones. I've wanted to be a meteorologist since I was a really little kid. I've always been fascinated with it. Um, yeah, you said you always watched the Weather Channel. Oh, yeah. Ever since I was a little <laughs> kid, I always turned on the Weather Channel. My grandparents would always tell me, they would be like, yeah, you didn't really watch any cartoons. You just watched the Weather Channel all day. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and then you are in a fraternity while you're here? I am in a fraternity. Um, I know those sometimes get negative stereotypes, but I feel like if you pick the right one for you and you get around a bunch of good guys, you'll actually have like resources to go to whenever you um, want somebody to either just hang out or if you need help in a certain type of a subject at school, because a lot of those guys, especially if they're older than you, they've probably already took in the class. And, you know, I honestly would not be the person that I am today if it wasn't for my fraternity. Well, they're a big part of it. So Yeah, excellent. And then you're big into intramural Sports. Yeah, I, I play um, flag football. I play basketball, um, softball. I tried soccer one time, but that didn't go so well. So I don't <laughs> think I'm going to do that again. Because <laughs> right. did you play soccer in high school? No, I have really no interest in soccer and don't even know what to really do. So <laughs> that was that was kind of not a good look. So. I'm going to just stick with football and basketball and the occasional softball. <laughs> right, because you're pretty competitive. Oh, yeah. I got, a comp- I got a competitive streak in me. I can't help it. You know, went to Crest High School, 
3A state champions in 2014. Uh, I actually played the state championship game here at NC State. And then two days later, I got notified that I got accepted here at NC State. So it was a good 48 hours for me. Yeah, that's exciting. Why did you choose NC State to go to? Well, I was looking for, you know, of course, a school that offered meteorology. There's only two in North Carolina, and that's you and well, they I think they've expanded a little more here recently, but one of the better programs was definitely NC State. Um, UNC Charlotte has a pretty good program. UNC Asheville. Um, I think ECU is building an atmospheric science um, program, but NC NC State. Uh, Visited the campus a couple times, fell in love with it. Um, I felt like it was a good place for me. Um, there was a lot of like diversity. I actually really like that because that just means that there's going to be people like you on campus that you can meet and interact with and build those relationships. And so just NC State just, you know, just stuck with me ever since I visited the first time. And I don't know. It was just I always knew that was the college for me. And you are you um, happy with that choice? Do you think you made the right choice? Oh, yeah, by far, because um, I, I knew I was going to stay in state. So being here at NC State, being at a major university, um, just all the different like things that's offered to you through NC State and what you can get out of it, it's pretty remarkable. Mm hmm. No, well, I agree too. <laughs> so, I um, yeah, I think it's great, and I've really enjoyed working with you. So now we've known each other for three years. Oh yeah, I think. But what I'm most excited to hear about is your internship with the WRAL Meteorology Department. Yeah, so I just started that um, about three weeks ago. I'm the new TV Weather Center intern there, and a little bit about that internship. So uh, you go through, you do like broadcast practicing like techniques. Um, you also do like daily forecasts for social media. Um, you do it for the radio booths because they own like different radios that um, play out through the state. And so they actually do the weather for them and the radio stations will use that. And I basically write out the forecast for the meteorologists there and they use what I wrote. Um also, I'm doing a research project now uh, for them, so an extra research project, but it'll be all right. <laughs> um, I'm actually because are you overextending yourself a little bit? Um, sometimes it can feel like that. You just have to. It's more of being self motivated to actually go out and do the work. Um, if you have no self motivation, then you're. It's going to be hard for you to get anywhere and. It's one of those things like you couldn't turn down. No, not yeah, at all. The research. So now I have questions about the weather because I wonder how they even do it. Because I always have wondered, is it more entertainment or is it science? It's definitely an applied science, I would say. Um, a lot of physics-based um, go like work goes into it. Um, so you have like atmospheric thermodynamics that I have to take, uh, dynamics one and two. Those are like the meat and potatoes classes that goes along with meteorology. Those give you the more internal like insights of what actually goes on in the atmosphere and and like the disturbance disturbances that go along with it. And what a, equipment do you use at WRAL? 
So right now we're using, uh, they have a dual Doppler radar where they keep track of like current weather that's going on outside. Um, they also have, um, it's a program called WSI and that's where they build all their graphics and everything that they show to viewers on, on, on air and, um, to make it readable for them. If you, because you can't sit there and, you know, bring out the, like technical terms that you actually learn in the classroom, you have to kind of like bring it down a notch just for the viewers, especially, you know, the ones that actually don't study meteorology, which a lot of people don't. There's only 15 in my class, so it's really small, which I feel like gives me sort of an edge because you can get a meteorology meteorology job like anywhere in the country. And if your class is only 15 people, um, I'd say you have a really good shot at landing some kind of job. Mm -hmm. Now, um, what are, do you know all the jokes they make about weather people and how they always get the weather wrong? Well, (laughs) one thing that was actually told to me from one of the um, meteorologists at WRAL, like if you're going into this industry, you got to have very thick skin. Um, because people will come at after you if you're wrong about any type of forecast. But it's also probably one of the only jobs where you can lie and still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you don't have to be accurate. Like, not being accurate isn't um, putting you at job risk. Like, it's not a reason to be fired. Well, as long as you don't, you know, you're not wrong consistently. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you're batting 500, 350. Uh, I'd say a little more than that. Um, you want to you wanna be as accurate as you can be just for, you know, people that actually need the weather. Like I said, they're in their daily routines and everything. Um, just having like actual accurate forecasting, it like in a way, it makes life a lot easier and it kind of gives people inside of what's going to happen and how they can plan around like their day through weather. Mm-hmm. Now, do they hype it up like when there's a snowstorm or like they hype up the topics that they know they'll get more viewers? Like people will, you know, keep checking for the updates? Um, Some of them do. I don't. Me personally, I don't think you should try and hype it up unless you're like actually 100 percent that is going to happen. Um, but being in the business of, for example, WRAL, who has a lot of viewers and has a lot of people that listen to them, they may hype it up as if, you know, there's the potential, but they don't go as far as to say, oh, this is actually going to happen, especially down here in the southeast. It's really difficult to track um especially like wintry weather and everything like that. So, yeah. Why is it difficult to track? Well, first of all, um, Southeast is typically like um, warm. And whenever you have the potential for snow, there's always that little, little layer. We call it a warm nose. And it's like a layer like, so it could be 32 or below at the surface, but somewhere in the atmosphere in the upper level, um, the temperature could be, you know, above 32 degrees, and that right there will cause you to end up getting some kind of ice or mainly, or it could just end up being all rain. Reason why it's so difficult, like I said, especially down here in the south, it's typically warmer. You, um, 
it's just not a place for a lot of snow. You got to get the right mechanisms and have it all fall into play just for you to get a snowflake to fall in the air. Um, typically what happens here in the south, we either just don't get enough moisture or we just don't get enough cold air. Cold air is half the equation for snow. So if you don't have that, then there's just really no chance. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do you ever want to be on air? So the on air people like on the TV and on the radio, are they meteorologists or do they have to be a meteorologist? Yeah. So yeah. they are actually meteorologists. I've talked to all of them. They all have a degree in meteorology of some sort. Um, me personally going on air, I could I could definitely see myself doing it, but I kind of want to wait a little bit. One thing I'd actually like to do is kind of like go to different regions in the country and like explore explore um, different weather phenomenons. That way I can, you know, whenever a certain weather event happens and I see it coming from the West and how it um, how it performed out there could actually be studied over a period of time and with experience you can actually kind of dictate exactly what it's going to do once it makes its way across the country and into our area yeah i've actually never seen like a younger weather person so it do they have you have to have a lot of experience to Um, be in that like before you're considered to be hired uh yeah definitely um actually wral is hiring someone pretty new to the weather industry she just graduated like two years ago but she was really good at what yeah. she did and she um was like very active when she interned there um but it did i did see one of the requirements that um they expected out of the meteorologists that they were hiring and they needed at least two years of like tv on air experience right 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 now when i had first met you you wanted to be was it a hurricane um what do you call it? Like you wanted to be out in the ocean? So like a hurricane specialist? Yeah. Uh, like a, I guess a, you could say Hur- a hurricane hunter. Yeah, a hurricane hunter. Um, That's still a goal for mine. One of my main goals is to actually fly out into the Atlantic or whichever ocean is producing a major hurricane at the time and kind of just fly out to the middle of it and study and bring back like different data sets of what was going on in real time. And to just be able to experience what it's like to, you know, be out in the middle of a hurricane in the eye of it while it's at full force. Now, will you die doing that? So, no, what what the um, people do that actually fly out there. So they they're actually in like Air Force based uh, airplanes. They're called the AC-130s. Probably heard them on Call of Duty if you played that a lot. <laughs> but um, so what they'll do. Do they have meteorologists in Call of Duty? Not that I know of, <laughs> but um, so they'll drive they'll drive it. They'll fly it out to the uh, hurricane, and basically what they do, they get to a certain point in the uh, upper level atmosphere to where it actually doesn't really um impact the plane enough to cause it to actually you know dysfunction and you know basically just plummet to the ocean. Um, there's you have to be really trained to actually do it. I don't think I would be the one to actually fly the plane, but I know they go into like the, I want to say around like the 700 hectopascal uh, pressure level. And to give people insight on that, that's probably a good five to 7,000 feet in the air. So 
Um, it, the winds won't be as strong as they will be at the surface. And um, I don't know exactly how the pilots, you know, maneuver their way through, but it's definitely possible. People, they do it all the time whenever there's uh, actual like tropical cyclone out in the uh, Atlantic or Pacific. Right now, um, which you and I had talked about is like the different hurricanes, like in the recent recent. Did you want to talk about any kind of explaining those? Because I know we had talked about with the Houston, the one hitting yeah, so or like, Puerto Rico. So we had in 2017, we had a couple of devastating hurricanes. I mean, it's un- it's unfortunate. You don't want to see that kind of impact on people's lives. But at the same time, it's nature, so it's going to happen. But we had Hurricane Harvey. It formed out in the Gulf of Mexico and quickly became a Cat 4. And then once it made landfall over there in Houston, it kind of just stalled out. Um, but as soon as a hurricane hits land, it immediately starts weakening. But if it sits there and it stalls out in one place for a couple of days, it's already bringing a, an extraordinary amount of like moisture. So it's just going to rain and rain and rain for days. Like some of those areas, I think, picked up like over 20 inches of rain. And then you also had Hurricane Irma, which is by far one of the biggest hurricanes I've ever seen on satellite. Um, it became a it became a Cat 5 and it brought devastation to the Caribbean and all um, like the islands out there and everything, the Bahamas, and then it made its and then it made U.S. landfall by Miami and just went straight up through Florida, which that it basically flooded Miami, and you know they were impacted for a while. I mean, hurricane victims are like, for example, Hurricane Katrina in two thousand and five. There's the people are still you know suffering from that today. And this is 13 years later. So hurricanes are really, they're really neat in terms of how they form and what kind of dynamics that they bring to the table. But whenever you actually experience the impact of what it does to actual people and what it does to the land and just everything around it, it's it's pretty devastating. And you don't want to see anybody go through that. So um for me, I kind of just want to increase the level of hurricane forecasting. That way, um, people have, you know, a lot. Like more preparation or yeah. able to prepare most appropriately for the type of hurricane. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And to know exactly when to evacuate. Yeah, because that was one of the things, remember, you and I had talked about is with the one that hit Houston, was that it sped up faster than they had projected? Yeah, and it so actually, that people couldn't get out in time, or yeah, because it. I mean, it just started out as like you know your typical tropical wave, and um, it was forecasted to maybe you know potentially form into an actual hurricane, but um, they didn't expect it to accelerate as fast as it did. I mean, it became a hurricane within a day as soon as they found out there was actual tropical wave right outside like the Gulf of Mexico. And once it hits those warm waters, it's, it was on from there and just basically demolished Texas or Southern Texas. Right. Right. So there's a lot more that we have to learn. Oh yeah. Is it, right. Most definitely. Um, 
So I've actually done research on eyewall replacement cycles, which only happens in major hurricanes. And typically what happens in those, so the hurricane will reach like its major hurricane status. And then the eyewall that it has will start contracting to the middle. And as that's going on, there's another one forming in behind it. But while it's going through this phase, it's actually... Um, weakening and it'll it could for example it could you know reach like category three and then once it goes through one of these ERCs it could easily go back down to a category one but as soon as it goes through a complete cycle and that new second um, eye wall that was forming in behind the first one actually forms and takes over its place it can it can ramp up a hurricane upwards to like for example a category four maybe even five if it has like um, all the necessary environmental conditions. So now what's your research on what? So I did um, eyewall replacement cycles. I gave a little in-depth on that. Um, I wrote many reviews on that, did a poster. I never did any actual presentation, but I'm oh, actually... Oh, so you look at the data yeah, and yeah. then evaluate the data. Okay. Yeah, so we get data from... Um, different hurricanes that actually went through in ERC that was recorded, um, kind of just study on it, what happened to the hurricane during the eyewall replacement cycle, like before, during, and after, and what impacts that it brought. Um, also, I'm doing more research on the Eastern Pacific. I'm doing like a tropical cyclone genesis project for it because, honestly, the Eastern Pacific doesn't get a lot of love in terms of research because the hurricanes there that actually do form typically just go out to sea and don't make any really like major impacts on land. Now, where's the Eastern Pacific? So it's Is just, that... it's just a coast of, uh, excuse me, um, of Mexico, of Central America, okay. South America. Uh-huh. And, um, you typically don't get hurricanes that reach the U S but definitely, um, You can get them around in the area of like the Gulf of California, which is just south of California. Um, I've seen hurricanes that made landfall in that area. But once they reach like the U.S., they basically die out because the sea surface temperatures are like too cool for it to stay intact. And like I said, the environmental conditions that's around it just kind of tears up the hurricane and it just becomes like a swath of rain that moves into the area with no really like immediate threat that hurricanes actually produce. So there's nothing that like we could do um, to decrease the amount of hurricanes or the power of hurricanes on the East Coast? No, there's there's absolutely nothing you can do to actually deter a hurricane. Um, It's just all about what Mother Nature wants to do. (laughs) (laughs) She, uh... It just so the main ingredients that you need for hurricane development would be warm sea surface temperatures. They need to be about 26 degrees Celsius or more. Um, You also need low wind shear and you need, of course, warm air around the uh, cyclone for it to stay intact. Mm -hmm. Now, um, are you doing different research for WRAL? Because you were doing campus research, too. Yeah, Yeah, so that that was my campus research. The research I've just started for WRAL, I'm looking into um, seeing if there's actually a such thing as a weather hole, which if I know a lot of people talk about it, um, 
where they think one area gets a lot less rain than another. So I've, when I, since I've been here my freshman year, one pattern that I've actually noticed is Raleigh kind of like seems to get like misses out on like the big storms that come through here, like thunderstorms, for example, is a big part of it. It seems like they kind of like die out or just bring rain and not any kind of severity that a thunderstorm would typically bring. But I see it all the time that around Raleigh, they actually get like pretty strong storms. So well, weather hole is basically a place that doesn't get exciting weather, but its surroundings uh, do. So my plan is to go back for the past 30 years and look up daily precipitation from March to September. And I'm going to look at the daily precipitation, the uh, climate averages for each uh, city in terms of rainfall rates and temperature, and kind of like make a correlation between that and that will tell me if um, Raleigh actually does receive like less precipitation than the areas b- around it, and that would be considered a weather hole. Now, I'll also be looking for hot spots, which is actually the areas that do get the exciting thunderstorms, and they actually do get a lot of precipitation, like more than the um, uh, city surrounding it. And what's one area in North Carolina that you think is a hot spot? Um, I don't really necessarily think there's one here. Mm-hmm. If I had to guess, um, honestly, the I-40 corridor towards Charlotte is actually a pretty good spot, like in and around like Statesville and Salisbury and sometimes Greensboro. Mm-hmm. They seem to get a lot of action. But um, if I had to name one in like the metro area and like Raleigh, um, when I look on the map, uh, it's probably around Durham and Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. And I do want to um, kind of switch gears for a second, because as you're talking, I was thinking about how you started the research your you know, junior year, and then you have the internship, you know, the summer before your senior year. Yeah. But I remember the first two years here, you were applying for a bunch of internships and trying to get research. Um So how does it feel feel to finally get it? Well, it it honestly feels really good. Um, If I had to give advice to anyone that's looking to get into any kind of research or internship is, you know, don't be afraid to ask, especially like your advisors and your professors, because they're more than likely doing research themselves and they can get you set up and do your own type of research like they did for me. Um, For internships, um, it's just going in and actually applying before the due date. Um, I kind of had trouble with that a couple times, but (laughs) I managed through. Um, Definitely would consider um, knowing how to write a cover letter and and knowing what to put on your resume. That's a really big deal because when they actually did the interview for me at WRAL, like, The entire interview was based on what I put on my resume. And so that's a really big deal when trying to get an internship. Now, did you know anything about a resume or cover letters before college or? Very little. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't, they didn't do that too much at my high school. They didn't really like sit down and try and help us, you know, learn how to write a resume or a cover letter. 
And so when you get to college, um, that's one, another thing I liked about NC State is that they have the resources there for you to help you build a resume and to help you make a cover letter. Is It's like right there at the tip of your fingers. You just have to go and do it. Yeah, and I think there's no expectation that you know what you're doing coming out of high school. No, not like at everybody all. expects you to need help. Yeah, exactly. Like they, everybody been, has been in the situation before, and they know what it's like. And the best, the best thing to do is just to get help from people that know what they're doing. There's a career center here. Um, I went there with my resume, and they helped me build it. I know you helped me out along the way with my resume to help me pick the right things to put in it. Um, and, you know, just having those resources is is really, like, great for anybody that's trying to get a job or internship. Yeah, because, you know, sometimes your parents don't know, you know, so you do have to rely on the university. Yeah, I mean, my parents, they, I don't think any of their jobs that they are, like, working required, like, a resume. And so... I, of course, came into college with no experience at writing a resume or a cover letter or anything. I just got the necessary help that I needed. I mean, you can go to um, the faculty at the school. You can go to any of your advisors. Um, you can even your peers that actually have written a resume can help you out as well. Because now when you started school, did you understand that you needed to do research and you had to do internships to be successful? Yeah, that was one thing I actually did know coming to college. I knew I needed to have, you know, other things than just having a high GPA. Um, it's important to get involved within the school. I think um, it builds relationships. It helps with networking. Um, getting into research and internships, that just helps you tremendously, especially once you graduate and you decide if you want to go out and get a job or if you want to go to graduate school. Those things help a lot, and that's that can be the one thing that helps you um, stick out more than your competitors. Yeah, and I know you um, were hired for your research position through work-study. Yeah, I was. Yeah. So you don't necessarily have to um, go directly to a faculty member, you know, or even harass faculty members to get a research position. NC State also has a program where if you have work study, you can get research positions through, you know, the work study application. Yeah. Um, so that's how I got my money for doing research. Um, they helped me. Um, out in that aspect. They also helped me out in reaching out to find a, the right mentor for me during my research. Um, so that's, and, yeah, that's the thing with applying for that work study position. They helped you yeah, they find helped, that position yeah, or they, ha find the faculty. Yeah, they helped me out doing that. Um, if I had to give any more advice on that, I would say try and find a mentor that's in your major that actually like, you know, a professor um, I'd, I'd say a professor is probably your best bet because they know the field, they know the field of study that you're doing like the back of their hand and 
they can help you out like in many different ways. And so getting involved with your professors and actually reaching out and talking to them is a good thing. So it's not always a bad thing to go to office hours. (laughs) (laughs) Right, 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 right. And I know that sometimes you haven't been huge fans of your all your professors. Oh, no. (laughs) But you, you know, it's kind of, um, what do you say? It's like, you can't have a personal opinion. Sometimes it's like, if they're the one that's going to help you with your career, you got to overlook your personal opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, professors, you know, they're, they're here doing their day-to-day stuff. They're here to teach you and they know the way to get through um, what you're doing because they've already done it before. And even if you have a professor that you don't like, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue and go through with it because it's going to be like that in the uh, workforce too. Once you actually get a job, there's going to be people that you don't like working with, but you still have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cause you can't really tell the truth all the time. Yeah, You can feel it, but you can't necessarily express it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> or is there a appropriate way of sharing, you know, with a faculty kind of like if you're having concerns or? Um, if you're having concerns, I mean, they're people just like you and they also get that way sometimes. So it's understandable to them. I feel like as long as you just go to them kind of like just express your feelings, not in like a really ridiculous way. But if you just go to their uh, office, talk to them calmly, like, hey, this is a situation I have um, and kind of just talk through it. I mean, they're adults. They they know how to handle, you know, kids our age that are in college and they can help you out. Um, I mean, if you get one that's not really willing to help out, um, it's kind of hard to, you know, get past that. But there's other there's still other professors that will reach out to you and help you out if needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because you definitely need a cooling off period. Or I guess usually the strong feelings come out yeah. regarding tests. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you think they're unfair or... What you know, whatever. Yeah, I I've had situations where I wasn't too happy with a test grade, and I brought it to the professor's attention. And I mean, every time that I did that, they just sat there and tried to help me out on things that I can approve on that helped me get a higher grade. Um, just you know, giving giving me like different, I guess you could say like facts and. I don't we have to edit this out. <laughs> yeah, okay, Kyle, we'll edit out the facts. But I think it's like feedback, right? And different techniques and an explanation as to like why you got the grade you got rather than the grade that you wanted. Yeah, exactly. And then being able to just have them um show you what you did wrong and how you can fix it in the future. It also helps you out whenever you're studying for tests because you know what to look for. You start um, knowing how that professor wants things in a certain way because that's pretty important whenever you're in a classroom setting is doing it the way the professor wants to because you're not going to get a good grade if you don't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
because now if you don't get the like a good like quote unquote like a good grade you shouldn't necessarily be in like embarrassed to go to the teacher you know it yeah yeah not at all um i've you know i've had test grades where i was not pleased at all with what i got and i went and talked to them they um sat me down went through the test with me that i had questions on just make sure you always go to them if you have um, any kind of questions because the best questions are the ones that ain't asked and so if you ask all the questions that you have for that particular test or just anything in general with the classroom then it'll help you feel a lot better moving forward yeah no definitely that's great that's great now i know that you want to go to graduate school Yep. Are you going to take a year off, a gap year, or are you going to go right after undergrad? So I'm actually planning on taking a gap year. Um, just It's just personal. Um, it's different for everyone. Um, for me, taking a gap year would do me well because I get a break from school, which I've been doing since I was five years old. And it kind of and just working a full time job in my field of study would actually help me out to better uh, raise my standards for graduate school and make me more competitive against other students trying to get into school as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the part of being um, competitive for graduate school, too, is that you talked about before the leadership and yeah. um, you talked about how important being involved in a Greek organization was for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I so. was uh, I was an officer in the fraternity. I was the risk manager. So I was the one that planned out all the security plans and um, everything for each event that we had. And I had to make sure that I was present at every event to make sure everything ran smoothly and if there was any trouble then I was the first person that everybody went to. And that's and I serious. Had to that. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, actually I mean, really that's a serious. Huge responsibility. Um, people might not think it is just because, you know, oh, you're in a fraternity. You're, all y'all do is want the party and everything. I mean, it's actually not like that when, especially if you're the risk manager, like you're the one that has to stay sober. You're the one that people rely on when things, you know, hit the fan and you, and, just everything like that. But I've also uh, been a student senator for the student government. Um, We basically are like the people, the voices of the students, and we help people like in different aspects of the campus. So we, um, so for me, I was in the finance committee. So what we did in the finance committee is people would come by with either their kind of like ideas that they had or if they want to do some kind of event or some kind of fundraiser and they would come to us for funding for that because we had extra money within uh, student government to give out to those ideas. And just depending on if we liked the idea or not or if we figured, you know, it could help out our school overall, you know, we're definitely more than willing to try and give the those people the money that they requested. Yeah. And so those like the risk manager and in the finance committee, I mean, those are very career related, related um, 
what I want to like positions and your responsibilities are can very easily translate into like a job. Oh yeah. Like a career skill. Yeah. Um doing student government taught me that, you know, you are actually like all eyes are kind of on you to make the best decision for the school. And to have a responsibility like that, you have to have good leadership qualities and have people stand by you to make sure that you're making the right decisions because, you know, that's the difference between the school excelling the way it is or being brought down to a, you know, a level of like a lower class university. And being here at NC State, you get the sense that we want to excel and that we want to be better than other universities. Right. Now, how did you decide to get into Student Senate and how did you um, do you apply or do you run? Do you get voted in? So or? You do apply. Um, I got interested in it by. So we had a guy that was actually running for president come to one of my fraternity chapter meetings, and he was trying to get Greek life more involved with student government. And I found that as a pathway for me to get involved. Um, I was a student senator for the College of Sciences. Um, you do get voted in. There were six chairs in the um, College of Sciences student uh, senators. And I got one of them. And there's actually two more of my fraternity brothers that were in the same college as me that also got the student senator position. So that made it a little bit easier. But um, just, now how do people apply for like how are how do you learn about those opportunities um, rather than just like if a student who's not in a fraternity, you know, where the person running comes directly to them? Yeah. So like, is there something on the Internet they could find or someone in their college? Yeah, you can definitely um, student government has a website page and they would keep people posted on, you know, when they're actually running for elections. Um, so elections for me, were, I think they were like in the middle of the spring. So um, that gives like freshmen the opportunity to you know, come in and then apply for it in the spring and then become a student senator then. Um, yeah, so it's all on the website. Um, I can't remember the exact website, but I'm pretty sure it's posted, like, on somewhere on the NC State um, website. Yeah, I'm sure you can, like, Google it, Student Senate. Now, how do you run a campaign? Like, is it a real campaign or? So the campaigns are more important for like upper positions like you know president um vice president student senate go uh president and everything like that they actually run like a full-on campaign and will go around the school and you know campaign the tails off but for me um i kind of just you know tried to get my name out there i would you know write out and chalk like all over campus you know vote for Clay Cheney for Student Senate at College of Sciences. Um, so, and honestly, there's not like a lot of people that run for Student Senate. I don't know if it's because they actually don't know about it or if people just don't want to do it. But um, so there's actually a lot of opportunity for people to get involved. Right. And so even if you think like nobody knows me in my college, you know, like I'm in classes yeah. with you know, hundreds of people, or I only know the 
you know, the 15 people in meteorology, that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't run. Yeah. I mean, like you just said, my class was 15 people and those are the main people that I see every day. So they know me. And if they saw my name, they would probably more than likely vote for me. But that's only 15. Um, If you just go out and try and reach out to others and, you know, give your story on why you want to do student government and why you think you would be a good fit and get people to kind of, you know, follow your lead on it, then everything will work uh, itself out. Yeah. Excellent. Now, what have you because I know we talked about. You came into school with a very competitive, which I know you still are. So <laughs> your level of competition even kind of freaked me out <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but now, like with leadership, like how has your like how have you changed? Like, have you been able to like manage that competitiveness, you know, or yeah, most, how you express like your strong emotions? Yeah, most definitely. Um. So what comes with building leadership is taking on more responsibility and taking on more responsibility will definitely teach you patience. And so me personally, um, like you said, I'm a very competitive person. It doesn't matter if it's any kind of sport or classroom or just anything that I have my mindset to. I'm going to try and do my best at it. But being the competitor that I am and doing all the on-campus, you know, um, leadership positions that I did actually have, it taught me to be the bigger person and to learn when to take risk and when to not, and also just making the right decisions. Because I think there's a different way of how you manage like emotions or what's appropriate in high school versus college, like how you manage conflict or how you manage, you know, how you express like competitiveness in high school or like in your family. And then you have to change that for how you manage that or what it looks like on a college campus. Yeah. So in terms of like emotions that come with going to college, it's definitely a different atmosphere. You, um, you're kind of overwhelmed at first, but once you get used to it, it's not too bad. Things are going to happen, um, things that are positive and negative. You just kind of got to, you know, some things you got to let go in one ear and out the other. Other things that are actually, you know, positive, you got to take that and kind of just I guess I would say like whatever kind of um, hardship that you do go through, it's not the end of the world and everybody has those and you got to think you're not the only one. I've had my own fair of hardships I've had coming into college and while being in college and, um, you know, sometimes it's okay to cry. Um, (laughs) The best thing to do is honestly just... If you are going through a situation, kind of take some time off. It's okay if you need a break from things from time to time um, to kind of just gather your thoughts and to recollect everything that's happened and kind of just put those all together and 
just build like positive um, reflections off of it. Yeah, because I think, you know, where people always say the college years are the best times of your life. And then actually it's some of the most hardest oh, yeah. times of your life. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I've had nights where I was in my dorm room freaking out because I had something due the next day and I felt like I hadn't, you know, com- completely did everything that I was supposed to. But that just comes with everything that goes on in college. It is, uh, it, 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 honestly, classes at co- in college are actually pretty tough. And whenever you get down to the nitty gritty, you know, it's, it's all on you. Um, nobody's going to be there to be like, hey, get your work done or because people, people really don't care. Like <laughs> they, <laughs> Trio cares. Tree, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying, though. Um, it's like sink or swim. Yeah. Like you're an adult. Do it. Yeah. Like it's your responsibility to get the work done. Like that's the thing about college is you got a lot more responsibility and a lot more on your plate. And so you just got to be able to handle everything that's going on outside the classroom and inside the classroom and make it all work out. Yeah, because even like that's like managing working, you know, and all those Mm -hmm. dynamics and then roommate dynamics and then, you know, family problems still don't stop. Oh, no, not at all. Um, I've definitely had my fair share of family problems coming into uh, college, but... Honestly, the longer I've been away, the closer me and my family have actually gotten. I know that may be kind of weird for others to hear, but it's actually pretty true. Um, Me and my dad, we kind of had our fallouts, especially like me in high school. And when I went to college, I guess he was kind of just, you know, stuck between, you know, me being there almost every day and seeing me. And to me going to college and he's only seeing me maybe once a month. Um, I mean, it takes a toll on your parents, too, even if they won't actually admit it. But but it does. And your parents still love you the same, but they understand that you're in a new place in your life now and they can't hold you back from anything. And all your decision all the decisions that like arise to you, you have to make for yourself and you can't just depend on somebody now. Yeah. And I think it's like the transition of now you have a relationship with your parents where you're more adult, oh, yeah. you know, than a child completely dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like for me, I had to work. I've probably worked like at least five different jobs since being here in college and that's just to help me get through and to help pay for whatever I need to pay for, like including bills or groceries or any other accessories that I need. And um, so, yeah, just coming to college, it, it gives you a it gives you an example of what real life is supposed to be. And it helps you better prepare for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So in the beginning, when you're first doing that, it is going to suck. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you are, you, there are going to be bad days. And that's just, it's almost like to be expected. Yeah. Like, don't give up. You know, when you're having bad days, it's like, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just means you're transitioning. Yeah, exactly. As long as you can get through the bad days and 
continue pushing forward and know what you want in life and to go out and go get it. College is your opportunity for that. And one thing I will say about college is to expect the unexpected. If you ever watch Big Brother, <laughs> it's, a, it's a perfect like saying for college. And so for anybody that does have those bad days, you know, you just got to think of the bigger picture and what can come in the future and not what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, excellent. Excellent. So what's um, next for you? What are your goals for your senior year? So for my senior year, um, so in the fall, I actually have a pretty busy schedule. I'm, like I'm saying, I'm doing the internship at WRAL and continue my research there and also my research with my mentor. So I'll probably be with work study again, doing the research. Um, the ultimate goal with the research, so they have the AMS conference. It's an annual conference where like all the meteorologists come to for a week and um, they have a bunch of talks. People show off their research and everything. And that's uh, our goal. So I have a research partner that I just recently added to kind of speed up the process. And our goal is to make an abstract to get accepted by the AMS. Um, so the AMS is the American Meteorological Society. And um, our goal is to submit an abstract, get it accepted, and present our research there at the meeting and also for the spring symposium at NC State. So we're working on that. I'm also um, taking like three meteorological classes. I'll also be looking to apply for jobs. Um, you know, I'm still going to have that competitive edge in me by... You're still going to, oh, are you going to still do uh, intramural Oh, yeah. We, <laughs> we made it to the championship and lost last season. So we're, we're looking to get that T-shirt this year. No, I think I remember meeting with you the day after you lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I remember those conversations, I think. Um, and then um, what's going on with the fraternity um, so the fraternity, we're doing well. We're going to continue to try and grow. Um, do you have volunteer projects? Like, so yeah, different focus, foci? So, so yeah, what we typically do, we're, um, we like to help out with, we're really big with uh, St. Jude and um, also like Habitat for Humanity. We'll go out and do the Shackathon. Um, we volunteer at the 5K races. We'll do fundraisers to try and help build money for St. Jude's. Um, and we every every now and then we'll do a project that the um, Habitat for Humanity will uh, try and get us involved to do. And we try and go out and help them out as best as we can. Now, what's Habitat for Humanity? So Habitat for Humanity is basically an organization um, for like people that need, um, I, I would say like funds and need help in certain areas of their lives and Habitat for Humanity provides them like necessities that they need that they just can't afford and, um, you know, building money and help do, and help like raising awareness for that can also help somebody in the future. Yeah. And then you're building houses for people to live in. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Um, so doing that, it gives you like 
a more realization like, you know, people are going through like hardships like that and just being able to help them out and see the smile on their face, you know, it's, it's kind of just nothing like it. Um, I really like helping people out the best way that I can. And whenever you can and you have somebody that actually needs your help and you're able to provide that help for them, then, you know, it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's great. And I think Habitat, Habitat for Humanity is one of NC State's major f- fundraising um yeah, all of Greek life is involved Non-profits. with Habitat for yeah. Humanity. Yeah, yeah, which I think it's like how many houses they've built for people in Raleigh is amazing. Yeah, there's a lot, actually. I don't know the exact number, but I've heard many stories of houses being built for people in need. Yeah. And so then you'll start the job search process in the fall with the hopes of getting a job offer by May. Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm hoping before May that way I can better prepare for it because I'm going to start applying in the fall. But, um, yeah, I kind of want to just be able to find a job that I feel like would really, you know, benefit me. It would also a place where the work environment is made for my type of, you know, personality and being able to interact with the workers there and to have you know, the resources that I need to be successful at the job is really important. Um, I would say location is important, but, you know, I wouldn't mind traveling out. It wouldn't be that big of a deal for me. Yeah, I mean, that's the the more places you see, then you can even find out, you know, where you do feel most, most comfortable. Yeah, and if I can find a job, you know, even if it's out in the Midwest or West Coast or Northeast, you know, it's like I said earlier, I've been wanting to go out and study these different different regions in the U.S. to kind of get the feel of what the weather is like there day in and day out. Yeah, no, excellent. Is there anything else you want to share? I mean, if I had to share something for especially like upcoming freshmen is to not be afraid to make an impact and get involved. Um, I know it can it can seem frightening at times to actually getting involved with an organization that you just have no idea, um, you know, what they're about. But as long as you're being yourself and you try and bring, like, positive um, influences to that organization and you actually work your tail off for what you want, then you you won't have any problems in college. But just don't forget that there will be bad days and you just got to get through them. And it's okay to cry. It is okay to cry. I've cried a couple of times. People might try and say I'm a tough guy, but, you know, I do cry. It's like Jimmy, uh, what's his name, Valvino? Valvano. Like, Valvino. See, he wasn't there my time, so I don't know his exact, his exact name. <laughs> right. But, I mean, it's like he said, if you cry, laugh, and smile in one day, then you had one heck of a day. And... Honestly, I mean, I know I wasn't here during the time he was, but it still sticks to you. And it's a big part of what NC State is today. Yeah. Yeah. To be great, you, you know, have to be fully emotionally invested. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thanks, Clay, so much. (laughs) No problem. I had fun talking to you. Yeah. I'll look forward to seeing you on um, WRAL. Hopefully one day. (laughs) TRIO Student Support Services Program and Student Support Services STEM are federally funded college retention and completion programs. These programs focus on academic, 
personal and career support for under-resourced undergraduate students. At TRIO SSS and SSS STEM, our goal is helping our students reach their goals. We are currently accepting new students to our program. Apply today. Go to www.ncsu.edu to learn more about student support services at NC State.